Welcome to the next podcast. This is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa. And we are very excited to have an incredible guest here today, uh, Richard Joyner, the president of Tolleson Wealth Management, will be joining us for this episode of Next, where we go deep and look at the wealth management firm of the future. And when we were starting this project, working closely with the BNY Mellon Pershing team, we were looking for you know, firms and individuals who have really been for many years rethinking the way advisors work with their clients and how they structure their firms, whether it's their business operations, their staff, their technology, or all of the above, around where there's the most need and the most growth opportunity. And Tolleson was one of the first firms that came to mind here. So I am very excited to get into a little bit more detail with Richard here today about what he thinks the future of wealth management looks like and what the wealth management firm of the future will likely look like too. So Richard, thank you very much for joining us here. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. Now, there's a lot to discuss here. Uh, we'll talk about intergenerational wealth. We'll talk about wealth psychology, all of the fun stuff. But before we do that, I think I'm very familiar with Tolleson. Lots of our listeners probably are as well. If you wouldn't mind just a little bit of background on Tolleson, your role at the firm, and the types of clients you work with, I think that would be a very, very helpful starting point. I'd be delighted. Our firm began in 1997 as a single family office. Uh, the single family office for John Tolleson, who at the time was the CEO of a company, a pub publicly traded company. Uh, he sold the company and subsequently started this single family office to, to serve the needs of his family. Uh, from, from that point forward, uh, he began to get some other friends and, and family members that asked if he could provide the same services for them. And uh, the multifamily office was born in about 2000. We started uh, taking on additional clients. In 2003, uh, John, is a, John has a background as a family in banking. He's a third generation banker and uh, was not really pleased with the banking services he was able to access. And so we started a bank as well. Uh, we now have a state chartered bank. And because we have a straight chartered bank, we've been able to add trust services to the mix. And from that point, we really just evolved as our client needs evolved. So we've added things like the bank, like trust. Uh, we began to do a fair amount of work uh, with family engagement and learning, which I think is probably an interesting topic for this morning. Mm -hmm. uh, we've added a, a dedicated philanthropy team. And so our firm today is, is a family-owned business. We are uh, a controlling interest is owned by the family, although employees own a fairly significant amount of stock in the company as well. And we intend to stay a family business. We're a single location. We have about 200 families and about 200 people. So it's a great I, business. I, I appreciate that just because you know there are so many different types of firms out there. Um, and I've said it on just about every podcast I think I've recorded this year. You know, If you've met one RIA, you've met one RIA. Uh, but I think your focus, the history, and the types of clients that you work with are perfect to give some perspective on, you know, obviously what's worked for you in the business, but you know, where the industry is moving you know, going forward. Um, and I'll specifically you know, talk to a couple of points that came out of the next research that we did. Um, when we surveyed you know, over 400 advisors earlier this year, we started to look at you know, the services that are most in demand now, right? And the services that advisors think will be most in demand five to 10 years out. Um, and retirement income was at the top of the list. We weren't necessarily surprised, right? More of a priority. But number two was you know, intergenerational wealth planning, a huge jump. Um, and I have lots of thoughts as to why. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail here. Um, but that's obviously something that you focused on for quite some time. If, if you wouldn't mind, maybe we can start there. When you think about intergenerational wealth planning, one, 
what does that really mean? What is you know, true intergenerational wealth management? Um, and two, what role has that played in your growth? So it's a great question. In, uh, intergenerational wealth is a big part of our focus, and it has been for many, many years. Um, I guess I'd start by talking about the trust business. Um, we started the trust business in 2006 and weren't completely sure how that would go within, our, within the, the mix of services that we provide. Uh, but as we got f- further and further into it, it became really apparent that working in the trust business means by definition that you're working with multiple generations of family members. And we took it, we tried to take a very different approach to it. Uh, we made a conscious decision when we began in that part of the business to, um, to, serve the, to serve as a steward, I guess is the right way to say it. We, we thought philosophically that it was important to know all of our beneficiaries extremely well. And by definition, in a trust, that usually means multiple generations of family members. And I think we, as we went through that process, we learned so much. And we, we learned that uh, serving the needs of the younger generation family members was, in fact, very, very different than serving the, the generation that was often the wealth creator. In some cases within our firm, we're down to five and six generations of family members. Of. And so that part of the journey has been, has been fascinating. Uh, and it continues to evolve. We continue to, to try to do things differently uh, to continue to meet the needs of that group. So I just want to get into a little bit more detail, too, because I think a lot of firms say they do intergenerational wealth planning, and they may work with the initial wealth creators creating plans for their next generation, but they don't necessarily engage directly with the next generation. They're not working with the next generation or other generations as closely as they're working with the wealth creators, right? Um, So what does that look like at your firm? And when you're truly working with multiple generations, how are you accessing, how are you connecting with some of the younger generations? It's a great question. When we work with younger generation family members specifically, uh, we try to incorporate that into the way that we actually staff the engagement. So if we have a team that's serving a family that has three generations of family members that are of adult age, uh, we typically are including staff members that are close to the ages of all the different generations. And that's particularly true of the, of the young adults who are saying they're in their late teens to early or mid thirties. Um, most of them don't want to talk to somebody like me who's been in the business for 40 years. They would, much, they would much rather talk to somebody who is closer to their age and understands the kinds of things that they're concerned about. Um, it, it, typically working with that group of people, it's a little, it's a little more uh, what I would call perhaps transactional uh, in the sense that they, they tend to want advice about buying their first home or buying their first car or making an investment in a, new, in a new business. How do I structure it? How do I think about it? And so I think the peer-to-peer piece of that is a really important piece of the process. And, and it, it defines how we, how we engage and how we, how we deliver those services to the clients. So that, that's very interesting. I think one other you know, area that I'd like to explore a bit too is you talk about the transactional nature of working with the next generation of clients. Yes. I, I am curious, maybe just to give our listeners who aren't working in the same way with their clients as you are, when, you, or when you're working with younger clients, um, what are some of the challenges that you run into? It seems like, you know, I, I fully understand why they would be transactional, right? They're in startup mode to some extent, right. professionally and personally, but how is it different for you or any of the advisors that are working with that next generation 
connecting with and relating to them. So you actually have a relationship, right? And you're not just somebody who is facilitating or helping to facilitate transactions on their behalf. Yeah. The, the process of working with them is very different because you, you alluded to the, to the transactional nature. So when they have a question, they raise it. However, they want information differently. They want to receive it on their phones. They want to have a quick conversation. It's, I think it's more just in time. They mm. want to be able to access what they need when they need it. And so there is also a little bit of a technology element. If they want to see what their portfolio is doing, how it's performing, what they bought, they like to see that kind of thing any time of day or, day or night. They like to see it on their phones. They like to be able to ask questions when they, when they want to ask questions. And so as best we're able to, we don't, we don't have somebody sitting at here at their desk 24 hours a day, but as best we can, we try to address the needs and communicate with them in a fashion uh, that makes them, uh, that makes, that really satisfies them in the process. Yeah, I think we're all trying to figure it out as we go here, um, but I think you're doing a great job and you've made a tremendous amount of progress. So I appreciate you sharing that perspective. I also think you know our uh, listeners would really benefit from understanding there are obviously complex family dynamics in many cases. I can certainly say, you know, in my family, we are complex. Um, and you know, the way I interact with my children is very different from the way my parents interact with me. Um, and especially when it comes to finances and understanding you know, money minds, um, it can definitely get sticky at times. Um, and not every family is open and comfortable and on the same page. Um, we've talked a little bit about wealth psychology, but my understanding is that it's actually something you're you know, intensely focused on there. So if you wouldn't mind, can you talk a little bit about how you're actually managing wealth, the psychology around wealth and what role it plays within Tolleson? I don't mind a bit. Uh, the first thing I would note, I guess, is that we, we talked about transactional interactions. Uh, but the other piece I saw change, and I think we really saw this uh, in spades during the pandemic, is I, I really think that a lot of young people found a voice. I think they found a voice that they didn't know they had. And I think they started exercising that voice during the pandemic. So the best way, the best way to explain that uh, is for a family that has a foundation. So they do philanthropy together. I, I witnessed so many conversations in which all of a sudden, young family members who had never really said anything during those meetings was very concerned about social justice and about women's rights and about things like that. And, and they raised them vocally during that period of time, much more, much more so than they normally would. Obviously, when you're using that muscle for the first time, um, it takes a little bit of practice. So it wasn't always smooth or it wasn't always easy. But what I think it facilitated was deeper and more comprehensive conversations around family values. And for me, that's the other piece of, of this whole intergenerational communication that makes such a difference. So while we're, we're serving day-to-day -day needs of families like this, we're also trying to facilitate conversations among all of the family members and across generational boundaries. We do that, we do that often by having things like family meetings, or we have a family, if the family has a private foundation that they use for their charitable work, we facilitate meetings together where they're actually talking about specific, uh, specific donations the family makes, the types of, of causes the family wants to support. Those are great conversation starters when you wanna talk about family values, but they also build a lot of communication skills. And I think for a lot of families, when you're crossing generational lines, 
making sure that the family has the communication skills to be able to, to take on difficult topics or topics they don't agree on is one of the most important and most fundamental skills that you, that you try to build. You see that kind of thing build over time. And then if you just continue along with that, as the family's evaluating charities, you're building a lot of other skills. You're building some financial skills. You're building governance skills in terms of making decisions jointly as a family. So we try to bake a lot of those pieces into the process of serving every client. But we also have a team that deals specifically in family engagement and learning. So for a larger family who really wants to dig in, we've got a, we've got a team of people that help develop specific curriculum for a family to develop specific sets of skills, whether they're leadership skills or communication skills or financial skills or entrepreneurship. We're trying specifically to make those kinds of things available to families so that they can build those skills over time particularly in that younger generation. I think over, over time, building those skills is really key to the family continuing to be successful over generations. I love that. And I appreciate you offering as much detail around that as you have. I do you have a, a question I mean, you mentioned before just around you know, some of the younger generations wanting to connect with potentially younger advisors or advisors closer to their age. And then you talk about this really sort of deep learning and understanding and you know, this really complex process of understanding you know, motivators and values. Um, how are you training you know, your advisors to be essentially not just financial advisors, right? But financial psychologists, right? Um, or I should say almost, you know, relationship um, managers in some sense too. It's way more than what a traditional or a classic financial advisor would be doing in an ordinary day. Yes, I agree. And the training is regular, continuous, and ongoing. And uh, it's not one particular thing, it's a set of things. To me, to me, it starts with building the right culture internally. And that, that includes um, helping people understand why we do what we do, why it's important to engage with all of the family. And so, and so we actually spend a lot of time talking internally about why we do what we do, how it adds value to the family and how adding value to the family helps society as a whole. And so having that deeper understanding and that connection to the purpose of, of what we do on behalf of our clients, I think is really the starting point. At the same time, we, we, we work in teams. And so the teams themselves do a lot of the day-to-day -day training just by working together and interacting with family members. But we do, use, we do have access to outside wealth psychologists. Uh, we do work with some firms that do internal training for us. Uh, we, use, we use outside consultants when the issues go too far or become too deep for us to be, to be competent to deal with. So if we see a situation where there are serious behavioral issues or there could be addictions or there could be mental illness or things like that, anytime that we see things that really go beyond our ability to help more in a coaching, and, in a coaching sense than anything else, we have, we have a stable of outside advisors that we bring to the table as well. And so all of those things contribute to the learning uh, that goes on in the delivery of services. And everything that we do, everything that we're training people internally about how we actually deliver services, we're talking about family dynamics. We're talking about the impact of those dynamics on the decisions that we're guiding our clients to make or to consider, alternatives to consider. And so it really, it's really baked into everything we do, uh, but it does require a lot of time and specific focus I think you have to be intentional about that to make sure that you're getting that, uh, you're getting the right information and the right skill building across our, across our entire advisor base. 
Yeah, and I, I, I wanted intentionally to go deeper into this subject because I think it's an area that it's so important to highlight how much work you do to be a true intergenerational family wealth manager. It's not just something that you put on your website and say you do it, right? Um, there are many, many layers to it, and it takes time and real focus um, and an intense sort of learning process. So thank you for walking us through that, Richard. I appreciate it. You know, before we run, we, we, we've talked a little bit about you know, intergenerational wealth and the role it'll play in sort of driving growth and shaping the future of the industry. But I should say, just outside of you know, Tolleson, maybe taking a step back or a couple of steps back, I would love to get your view on the future of wealth management. Um, as you look five to 10 years out, what are some of the things that you think the most successful firms in the industry will be doing right, right if they're growing faster than all other firms and are more profitable and in a better place than all other firms in the wealth management industry? So I guess I would point to a couple of things. You alluded to a few of these in the beginning. I think one of the things that's really, really important is listening to your clients and, and really having up, up close interactions with them, asking them what it is they, they need, what they're getting, what they're not getting, and really listen to the answers. I think for us, that's been a really a big part of our evolution, and I think it'll continue to be. Uh, we do have regular conversations with our clients, both formally and informally, and we make sure that we're asking that question. So understanding client needs and looking at things, really changing the lens so that you're looking from the client inward as opposed to looking from the firm outward. Um, I think that perspective, if you use it, changes a lot of how you how you make decisions about what you do. Um, I think that um, technology and, and efficiency and better process are a big part of what's ahead of us. I know that's a big focus area for us. We want to make, you know, there, historically there wasn't that much technology in our industry. Now that seems to be everywhere. Yeah. But the ability to use it and integrate it and actually um, create efficiencies is really important, both from a, a profitability standpoint for firms like ours, but, but more importantly, I think it creates a better employee experience. Somebody that's sitting around just updating spreadsheets all day would much rather be engaging with a 30-year-old client talking to them about their, you know, their next big purchase. And so I think the, the trick is not just the efficiency that comes with technology, but it's taking and redeploying those resources so that you're going deeper on the things that really that clients value the most. You're having the upfront interactions day to day. Finally, I don't think you can be successful uh, going forward without really understanding what your firm's culture is and being very, very intentional about the kind of culture that you build. We spend a lot of time internally talking about collaboration, how you collaborate, collaborate across teams and across service areas, um, because the importance of, of having a collaborative solution for clients can't be overstated. We also, you know, we do a lot of creative things to kind of build that internal culture. We have a reverse mentoring program. Um, we spend a lot of time uh, talking to our younger, uh, younger employees about what they want in a work experience. There's no question that having happier and more satisfied employees will result in a better client experience. There's just no doubt about it. So those are the kinds of things that we're, that we're focused on looking forward. I don't know exactly what the service looks like or how it changes, um, but I think, I think if we keep our focus solidly on the value we deliver and building a great internal team that's constantly challenging itself to get better, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go. Yeah, I appreciate that too. And I think 
you touched on the client experience. We have a, a very large focus on one, defining you know, what a good client experience looks like in our next research project. Um, but two, you know, what are your firms doing to, to deliver on that and actually create a better client experience? And this is the first time, right? Because usually the discussion falls into, uh, you know, we start talking about technology, right? Um, this is the first time anybody's actually said how important it is to have you know, employees that are happy, satisfied, right? And how that translates to providing and delivering a better client experience. So it wasn't on my list of questions for this particular next podcast. I'm glad you brought it up because it's such an important piece of delivering an exceptional client experience. So thank you, Rich. I appreciate that. Of course. Now, we've touched on a lot of ground here. I uh, learned a lot about you know, Tolleson, your process, the way you work, you know, your clients, some of the unique dynamics there, got your view on the future of wealth management. As we wrap up here, are there any final words for our listeners here who are you're thinking about whether it's staffing or technology, investments and changes, basically, that they need to make in their business so that their firm is aligned with client need and ultimately growth opportunity? You know, one of the things that I think has changed dramatically over the last couple of years, whether it's from the pandemic or not, I'm not sure, uh, but it's noticeable to me how much or how often clients reach out and find us rather than us finding them or going out and, 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 and trying to identify referral sources and things like that. And so one of the things that we think a lot about is how, how we make sure that we are telling our story, we're telling it consistently, we're telling it broadly so that the people, when, they, when they're actually looking to find us, that they have enough in, there's enough information out there to actually determine whether there's a good fit. Um, I, I think that a solid business plan long-term is about finding the clients that really fit what you're able to deliver. And so I think being very, very deliberate about what you deliver and how you deliver it and articulating the value of that is really, really important. And it, we, it, it's just been so much more of a focus over the last couple of years. And I think it's really paid off for us. Richard, thank you again for the closing thoughts there and for spending some time here today on the next podcast. Incredibly insightful and congrats for all of the success that you've had over the years at Tolleson. Definitely, when I think of uh, some of the most well-run and some of the best firms in the industry, you know, Tolleson is right there at the top of the list. So thank you for sharing your time and your thoughts with us here today. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. And thank you to our listeners, for everybody who tuned into this episode of the next podcast, where again, we look at the wealth management firm of the future. I'm Mark Bruno with the Wealth Management Group here at Informa, and we look forward to having you all back on the next episode of the next podcast. Take care, everybody. 